Welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who listen in regularly will know, we have three different types of podcasts. We have our interview series where we chat to experts on a really wide range of policy areas. We have our 10-minute lesson series where the aim is to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy. And we have our seminar series where we provide the opportunity to listen back to some of the most important presentations we've held at past events. This is one of those. In 2021, we held our 34th annual policy conference on the theme of social rights for all, time to deliver on the European pillar of social rights. I let our chair, Mick Clifford, make the introductions and we hope you enjoy. Our first speaker is Hugh Fraser. Hugh is an expert on European policies to combat poverty and social exclusion, especially child poverty. He played a real, a lead role in the feasibility studies that contributed to the establishment of the European Child Guarantee. He has acted as an advisor to a wide range of national and European organisations, including UNICEF and the ESN. The title of Hugh's paper is How the European Pillar of Social Rights Can Help Advance Social Policy in Ireland. Great. Okay, thanks. Good afternoon. And first of all, thank you to Social Justice Ireland for the invitation to take part in what is a very timely and I think important uh, um, conference, because I think the European pillar of social rights is a very interesting development at at European level. Just to set a bit of context about um, my remarks, I think I would agree with those speakers who suggested that the pillar of social rights is an important and ambitious agenda. Um, Having worked on European social policy for the last two decades, I think it is probably potentially the most important initiative And I think it does represent a growing realization at a political level of the need to build a more social and inclusive Europe. Um, And I think it will be important, but this is a big if attached to that, and that is if it is rigorously implemented. If it is, then it can redress the imbalance between economic employment and social policies. It can provide a very useful framework for building back better post-COVID, and it can help to ensure just and green transitions. However, I would have some reservations uh, um, about the possibilities. There was a very slow start to the implementation of the pillar of social rights, um, but I think that has stepped up with the um, Commission's action plan and the Porto Summit. Um, And they are an important steps forward, but we do need to go further. Um, For instance, the poverty target and the sub-target on child poverty, while it's good to have them, they are quite modest and in fact don't match the ambitions set out in the Sustainable Development Goals. The Commission's action plan is much more developed in some areas than in others, and certainly in several areas it doesn't go as far as it might in terms of legislative action. So I think several things will be needed if the pillar is to be a really useful tool for us. It will certainly need continued strong political leadership, and I think also attached to that increased public awareness and support about the rights set out in in the pillar. It will certainly need, and this came up in the morning session, strength from social governance through effective mainstreaming of the principles in the European semester process and the social scoreboard, and leading to a rebalancing of social and economic priorities, and effectively integrating the social into fiscal policy and also into the digital and green transitions. It will need an increased use of EU legislation to establish enforceable minimum social standards in in several areas. It will be important that we avoid cherry picking, that is 
only having piecemeal implementation of the pillar, for example, concentrating more perhaps on things relating to the labor market at the expense of social protection issues. Um, it will be very important that there is a significant focus on those people who are in the most vulnerable situations when implementing the pillar, and not just in, in a few selected areas, but in all areas. Um, and I think it would be important if we're going to be really effective to fill some of the data gaps that exist uh, um, that will be essential for developing effective actions and for monitoring them, and also the timelessness of data. I'm thinking particularly the breakdown of data to cover some of the most vulnerable groups. So let me turn now to, 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 to look at what I think are, are, are sort of 10 overall or general ways that I think we can use the pillar to have an impact on Irish social policy. The first thing is I think it can help to enhance, it can help to rebalance economic and social policy. Um, there is uh, in the preamble to the pillar of social rights, it talks about building a more inclusive and sustainable growth model. And I think if the 20 principles on equal opportunities and access to the labor market, on favorable working conditions and on social protection and social inclusion are all implemented, that will in itself lead to a rebalance between economic and social policies and a much stronger look at how economic policies are actually contributing to social goals. Secondly, I think it can help to foster a comprehensive, integrated and strategic approach um, to issues like poverty and social exclusion. To some extent that already exists in the roadmap for social exclusion 2020 to 2025, um, but I think it'll be further reinforced. The Commission's action plan talks a lot about an integrated approach, um, and I think that that is very welcome. I think the third area it can be helpful is on setting clear goals and targets, and member states are being encouraged to define their own national targets. Now, actually by European standards, I think Ireland has been quite good track record and setting goals and targets, and certainly the roadmap for social inclusion does that. But I think we can use the pillar of social rights to review our existing goals and targets and identify areas where perhaps we don't ha yet have goals and targets and, and to develop our targets in relation to the different principles, the 20 principles set out. Sorry, my thing is skipping. Um, Okay, the next way, I think um, the pillar will help us to enhance data monitoring and accountability. Um, we've heard a bit today about the role of the European semester, and I think if that is really developed properly, it can be extremely useful for actually pushing Irish policy uh, and getting the Commission to encourage Ireland to, to do more. And this is certainly something that can be taken up by organisations like Social Justice Ireland, who can give information to the Commission about things that are doing, being done well in Ireland, but things that are not being done sufficiently in relation to the pillars. And in my experience, um, Commission desk officers who are developing country reports and have a key role in developing country-specific recommendations really like informed and good inputs from civil society and from researchers and academics to help them understand the situation and develop their recommendations. Um, I think also there will be an opportunity to identify and fill gaps in data that is needed if we're serious about implementing the pillar. Um, Ireland is better than a lot of countries, in fact, on the data we collect around issues about social inclusion, but there are significant gaps that could be filled and how, how the breakdowns of figures to look, look in more detail at particular groups and also to look more at how effective policies are actually being in reaching those groups. 
Um, certainly, I think that the pillar will encourage us to focus on those most at risk. Um, there's a, quite a lot of references to, to, to those most at risk in, in, in the pillar, those most in need, the most vulnerable, vulnerable groups, the groups who are underrepresented. Uh, um, and I think also the implementation of the um, pillar has been linked to the implementation of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, um, which stress about leaving no one behind and reaching the furthest behind first. At the moment, I think the pillar lags a bit behind that, but hopefully the, connecting the two will help to reinforce how the pillar is implemented. I think it can also be helpful in tackling discrimination. Um, the Commission are talking about an action plan to combat stereotypes and discrimination in employment, training, social protection, housing and health. And also, I think significantly allowing for the use of EU funds to support measures to tackle discrimination. And I think that is potentially something we could use here in Ireland. Um, the Commission usefully focuses on gender inequalities, and certainly from a positive poverty perspective, this is a very important issue. And I think especially principle two on gender equality and free on equal opportunities are helpful in this regard. Um, and I think it can help us to strengthen policies on the gender pay gap, on the pension gap, on enhancing family-friendly working, on more provision of early childhood education and care, and on tackling domestic violence. And I think those are all issues that are going to be promoted uh, um, in the context of the pillar, and we can make use of that. Um, certainly, I think the pillar will help with transnational learning. It will create new opportunities to see what policies are working best in other countries. Um, and I think we can definitely help and use that to develop what we are doing here in Ireland. Very importantly, I think it should lead to a better use of EU funds to combat poverty. Um, there's a strong link between how EU funds are being used for the period 2021 and 2027 and implementing the pillar of social rights. Very specifically, of course, there is a 25% ESF plus on poverty and social exclusion. But I think other funds here are also important. And I think there's a real chance here to ensure that we use very strategically EU funds, both to use them better to tackle poverty, but also as a lever to get more national investment as well. And then I think the other area that there is potential for the pillar and using it here in Ireland is enhancing the role of civil society and policymaking. Um, again, Ireland is probably one of the better countries in this regard, but I think there's more needs to be done. And there is a recognition that civil society, along with social partners, regional and national authorities all have roles to play. And I think we should insist on using that. Um, and there's also, again, interestingly, provision in the ESF Plus for building capacity of social partners and civil society organizations. And I think that that can be very helpful. So I think we should be insisting here in Ireland that civil society organizations have a key role in the development of responses to the pillar and in its implementation. But I think also at the same time, our organizations here in Ireland need to liaise with the European networks that are working at European level to push the Commission to do more in the implementation process. The next thing I want to turn to is some more specific policies areas that I think that the pillar can be helpful on, on here in Ireland. Um, and I've highlighted five of them. The one I'm going to talk most about is child poverty, because that's the issue I've been working on, well, a lot for the last three years, but in fact, generally over the last 20 years at European level. And I think that we have real opportunities there. So it is striking, I think, that the, the principle 11 of the pillar of social rights 
which looks at the issue of childcare, but also specifically at the issue of children uh, um, not growing up in poverty. Uh, um, and I think that that is very importantly developed in the EU child guarantee. It's probably one of the most developed aspects of the pillar of social rights. And that really is because the work on the child guarantee um, happened over a three year period um, from 2018. Uh, um, <clears throat> at the same time as the Commission was developing its action plan. And there was an early, um, very strong political commitment from the President of the Commission to have an EU child guarantee in response to a demand from the European Parliament. So I think we have, in fact, a very strong lever to enhance policies here in Ireland on child poverty. First of all, I think it will help to enhance us having a comprehensive and strategic approach. Um, we do have a certain amount of coordination on policies and a strategic approach in relation to children, but we now have to develop this action plan to implement the child guarantee by March 22. And this should go significantly beyond where we currently are on policies to tackle poverty. It is a really significant opportunity, providing we really push the government to do something radical in response. Um, and it should also be backed, and this is in the child guarantee, by a broadly based supporting enabling policy framework. I think it will also help us to fo focus more on children's rights and recognizing in different areas that we should be developing policies, not just as options or things we should develop, but they are rights that need to be delivered to all children and particularly those in vulnerable situations. And I think in this regard, that the Ombudsman for Children here in Ireland could play an important role in ensuring that we're keeping children's rights at the heart of the implementation of the child guarantee. The Child Guarantee puts a lot of focus on identification of children most in need, and we will have to do that very carefully and strategically when we're developing our national action plan. And again, I list some of the groups that clearly should be highlighted in that. But I think it will also need to have disaggregated data on these children and on their current access to services and where the gaps are and where services are too weak or not meeting their needs. The Child Guarantee will help to enhance policy coordination and I think the fact that every country has had to appoint a national um, child guarantee coordinator is important. We also, of course, have some degree of coordination here, having a Department of Children, um, which is more than many countries do. But I think this will give a very specific focus on, on poverty and social exclusion issues for children in, in coordinating that across government. And I hope that we will have a really dynamic role from, from the national coordinator. Um, <clears throat> Certainly having the child guarantee will lead to enhanced monitoring and reporting. There have to be biannual, biannual reporting on progress and it will also be linked into the European semester process. And it's interestingly, the Social Protection Committee is developing a common monitoring framework for the child guarantee at European level. So I think we have a chance to feed into that and to enhance our own monitoring here in Ireland in, re in response to that. I've mentioned before, but very specifically in relation to children, the enhanced use of EU funds is very important. Um, it's an area we studied a lot in, in the feasibility study and across Europe, very weak identification of how much EU funds have been, been used to support children in the past. The commission couldn't tell us, they didn't have the evidence, nobody was collecting this. Now it's required to use EU funds to support the implementation of the child guarantee and 5% of ESF plus has to be used in countries like Ireland that have high levels of child poverty. So again, that's a very useful lever 
also to get more national funds in addition to the strong use of the EU funds. Certainly, um, we will see in relation to children an enhanced policy role for civil society and for children themselves and those most at risk. And we have quite a good track record on that in Ireland, but I think we can build on that further. Um, and there certainly is a strong emphasis in the child guarantee on involving a broad range of stakeholders and specifically children in the development, implementation and monitoring process. And then in terms of specific policy actions, the child guarantee actually spells out in the different areas that it covers, the early childhood education, education, access to healthcare, um, nutrition and housing, it, it spells out a range of policies that one would expect to see in place and to be developed. So I think we can test what is in place in Ireland against that range um, and use it as a way of examining our policies. And when we start the process of developing the action plan, um, we can see where the gaps and the weaknesses currently are. And then very specifically, if I had to suggest sort of three ambitions that I'd like to see in the child guarantee action plan, amongst many other things. First of all, I would hope that we would establish a clear scientific basis for setting and regularly updating adequate levels of minimum wages and income support for families and children in need to ensure their well-being and their development. And I think here we can again in Ireland build on the work that's been done by the Sentient Partnership for Social Justice on reference budgets. Secondly, I would like to see work towards establishing state-provided system of free childcare and after-school provision. I think the issue that came up more than anything else in the feasibility studies was the importance of early intervention. And we shouldn't leave it to chance or ad hoc projects. I think we now ought to be putting in or working towards putting in place a proper state provision for all children and ensuring that the children who are most in need benefit from that. And then the other critical issue clearly here in Ireland is the right to housing for families with children. And I think we should ensure that that is in the plan and we ensure that there's a dramatic increase in supply of social housing and within that then a better targeting of children and families in vulnerable situations. Very quickly to move on to the other areas, um, in terms of inequality and income ad adequacy, I think the pillar is <clears throat> quite helpful here. Uh, um, in terms of low pay and insecure employment, um, I think principles five to 10 on fair employment um, can be very useful in terms of tackling issues of adequate wages. Um, and I think the proposal for a directive on adequate minimum wages that the commission is proposing can be very helpful. Um, and I was struck when I was listening to Bear this morning, the extent to which he says low wages um, across countries have been one of the factors in limiting progress and setting the levels of social protection. So I think it's a very important issue, but also here in Ireland, and again, it came out during COVID, was working conditions for many people in poor working conditions. Um, then on social protection, we have a principle 13 uh, uh, um, uh, and adequate unemployment benefits and 14 on adequate income. And I think those again are important. Um, I think it was slightly disappointing that the Commission is only proposing a council recommendation on, on minimum income. I know this being an area of debate for some years now, but a, a lot of experts consider it is actually possible to have a framework directive, which would be a stronger legislative base, and hopefully we could work towards that, but at least a strong council recommendation on minimum income can be useful uh, uh, in making progress in, in that area. In terms of housing exclusion and homelessness, Again, I think it's very useful to have principle 19 on housing and assisting assistance for homelessness. 
And I think one of the important developments is the establishment of a European platform on com combating homelessness. And I would agree with FIANSA, which is the umbrella body for, for organizations working on homelessness, that this platform can become a motor for progress in tackling homelessness in Ireland. And we certainly need a motor here in Ireland. Um, but again, I think it's a bit disappointing that the Commission Action Plan doesn't actually set a target on homelessness. Certainly we should do that here in Ireland. Access to essential services. Um, I think, again, the pillar is helpful here. My impression, having spent the last 20 years working at European level, that Irish policy has, by the best European performance standards, been rather imbalanced, that we focus far more on developing income support than ensuring access to high quality, inclusive, accessible, and affordable essential services. And I think that COVID has shone the spotlight on the persistent inequalities in access to good quality services. Um, so I think we need not, not to anyway weaken what we're doing in social protection, but also to do more focus on developing access to essential services. And again, I think we can use the principles in the pillar here to redress the existing imbalance. Principle one on the right to quality and inclusive education and training and lifelong learning. Principle 16, um, looking at preventative and curative healthcare of good quality. Principle 18 on the right to long-term care services and community-based services. And principle 20 of the pillar on access to essential services. I think all those are useful tools that we can use for arguing a stronger focus on good services here in Ireland. And then just to touch on my final area is the digital and green transitions. And I think it is striking that the Commission's action plan links the implementation of the pillar and social rights with the digital and green transitions. Um, and I think it will be absolutely crucial that they are linked together in the context, particularly of the European semester. Uh, um, and I think we can use it here in Ireland. If you apply all the principles and, and use them to look at what's being done in terms of the digital and green transitions, I think they can really help us to get a stronger just transition. There's no guarantee it will happen, but I think the fact we have those principles which provide a prism through which we can look at what's been done in terms of the digital and green policies can be quite helpful as we move forward. So just in conclusion, I would repeat that I think that the pillar of social rights is a very important political recognition of to be, build more inclusive and fair societies and to build a more social Europe. I think it is potentially a really important tool for building back post-COVID. But I think this will depend on effective implementation and continuous and visible assessment uh, of progress being made. So thus I would end by saying in this regard, the role of NGOs and policy analysts should be to use the EPSR principles to hold government to account for ensuring that there are effective policies in place that will deliver on the 20 principles. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. Again, you can access all the papers and videos from our policy conference on our website, and many of the presentations have already been released as podcasts. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>